Hi, everyone, and welcome to ForageCast, a podcast from Forage Genetics. Each month, we take a deep dive into alfalfa topics and address real on-farm issues that revolve around alfalfa's integration into cropping systems. And now, here's your host, Emily Message. Welcome to this episode of ForageCast, sponsored by Forage Genetics International. I'm Emily Message, Technical Support Specialist with FGI. Today is part one of our discussion on the benefits of alfalfa in cropping systems, where we are diving into some considerations as to how alfalfa can improve on-farm management and production when including in your cropping rotations. I'm very fortunate to have with me one of my mentors and colleagues, Dr. Craig Schaefer, Professor of Agronomy and Plant Genetics at University of Minnesota. Craig, thanks for being on here with me today. Yes, good morning, Emily. Today, I want to cover some of the benefits of including alfalfa in your cropping rotations. And I, I know you've done a lot of work with this here at the University of Minnesota. And I feel like a lot of this kind of gets overlooked um, by farmers today. You know, obviously, we know alfalfa is a superior forage for inclusion in livestock diets. But what about what goes on in the field? What's going on in the soil? One of the first things I'd like to cover in part one of this podcast are the nitrogen benefits. Let's start with nitrogen credits. Can you first explain what we mean when we say nitrogen credits? Yeah, so nitrogen credits are the fertilizer nitrogen equivalents that we um, give to growing alfalfa. Uh, so um, they're calculated by experimentation, field experimentation, where corn is grown following alfalfa. And then corn, either following soybeans or continuous corn, is grown with variable nitrogen rates. So in the end, we can say, ah, growing alfalfa for three years at a certain density provides uh, X number of pounds of nitrogen for the subsequent corn crop. And typically that is in the range of 150, 160 pounds, but it varies with the soils. And I should say, um, that it's important to, rest, to recognize that alfalfa contributes nitrogen not only to first-year corn, but also to second-year corn to get some benefit from it. We should back up and just say something about biological nitrogen fixation. Um, so that's really the, the reason there is a nitrogen credit. So you grow alfalfa or many of the other legumes, soybeans, field beans, red clover, they form a symbiosis with a soil bacteria called rhizobium. And uh, the rhizobium will form nodules on the roots of the plants. And these nodules are the site of fixation. And the rhizobium then take nitrogen from the atmosphere and convert it to a amino acid protein form that the plant can use. One of the things that I do when I go out and try to assess why alfalfa isn't growing, I dig up roots. And uh, every grower should do that different times of the year, dig up roots. And One look of at my those rhizobiums <laughs> in the nodules. And, um, and they should be pink because they have a type of hemoglobin in them. So just a couple follow-ups then, because there's a lot of information um, packed in there. So I, I too, I love going out there, looking at the roots, looking at those nodules, 
And you're saying when we, we dig up those roots, we're looking for the nodules, but the presence of nodules alone isn't enough. We want to actually open up those nodules, make sure they're that nice pink color. You know, if they're gray, brown, or even white, the nodules are probably not doing their job, correct? Yeah, that's correct. Um, in fact, okay. we know that um, alfalfa, being a perennial crop, will retain nodules over the winter in the Midwest, Northeast, but a certain percentage of them die. And new ones are always formed in the spring on root hairs. So um, it's, it's an ongoing process. So when's the best time to go out there? Because we do know they, they, like you said, shed nodules. So we don't necessarily want to be going out there and digging up roots when they might be in the process of shedding. When would be the best time to really get a good gauge of how many nodules are on those tap roots? Well, I would do it um, right before the first harvest then in the spring of the year. That should be an ideal okay. time. The symbiosis is, is dependent on the plant's supply of energy to the nodule, not only to provide that structure, but also to provide energy for the bacteria, the rhizobium. So by the time the first harvest co- occurs, at about, let's say it's bud, and these nodules should be very healthy. Um, one of the other things that um, you always need to be aware of, and Emily, I'm certain you've seen this, is that these nodules are quite small. And if you dig up these plants mm-hmm. and you're kind of rough with them, you can lose all your nodules in the soil because they're all on small root hairs. All of them will be in the top six Absolutely. inches of soil, or most of them will be in the top six inches of soil. So you don't have to dig very deep, but take it easy. Be tender with them. There's living creatures there. That's a lesson I learned the hard way. You know, you have, a, have to be a little delicate when you're digging up alfalfa plants. Otherwise, those nodules are going to be left behind and, and you're not going to get a good representation there. So one of the other things that you mentioned is when we're evaluating through research, how much, how much nitrogen credits we can attribute to alfalfa. The common crop that we're using in rotation is corn. Um, one of the questions that I've gotten is, can we attribute the same nitrogen credits from alfalfa to other crops besides just corn? I mean, it makes sense, right? If you estimate you can get about 150 pounds of nitrogen from alfalfa for corn, you can get it for wheat, barley, and triticale, right? Well, um, yeah, so we need to back up and and, and I look at this in a, from a broader perspective as well. And um, you can go back to the Greeks and Romans and a lot of early people who did crop rotations. And they recognized that just by changing crops, just by changing crops from one to the other, uh, you get a, a, a yield bump, something called a rotation effect. And um, that's why when you grow continuous corn, as we have done uh, during times, recent times when corn prices are really high, there's a yield decline every year with continuous corn because you get, uh, well, you do not have the rotation effect. So uh, what is the rotation effect? Well, the rotation effect is a combination of that nitrogen that can be supplied, but also Um, effects due to changing in soil fungi populations like mycorrhizae, um, bacteria populations, um, changes just due to the addition of organic matter to the soil, soil health issues. So 
there's a lot going on in the soil when you rotate crops. And um, we would recommend for all growers at the minimum to be in some kind of rotation, whether it be corn and, and soybeans, um, or we really love the alfalfa, alfalfa, alfalfa corn rotation. So um, where you get the maximum rotation effect occurring. So going back to your question, what about soybeans? What about birds with trefoil? Okay, there is a, uh, or triticale, there is a rotation effect just by changing crops, but it would have no nitrogen benefit. In fact, due to the application of high carbon nitrogen um, ratio uh, residues, like if you incorporate a small grain, you likely will not be um, you you will likely need to apply more nitrogen, not be adding any nitrogen system. Birds with trefoil, uh, which have less production capability, or, or red clover, um, you're going to get less of a, a nitrogen um, uh, contribution or, or nitrogen fertilizer equivalency value from those crops. Correlation of dry matter production and nitrogen um, contribution. And of the legumes that we grow, alfalfa is superior. One thing that I, I think was surprising to a lot of my undergraduate students is when I showed them the estimates that we used in Montana, you know, alfalfa oftentimes was twice as much in terms of nitrogen credits compared to some of the other legume options. Granted, there's a lot that goes into it. Like you said, health of stand, soil type, environment, that sort of thing. But really, alfalfa has a lot to offer, um, even just looking at the nitrogen portion of this conversation. Yeah, that's very much so. And um a whole other factor in terms of the nitrogen contribution is stand age. Um, it's been shown in some work we've done in Minnesota and other states that the longer you keep the alfalfa in, the higher the, the nitrogen credits. You can take a one-year-old stand, even though it has a high stand density, it's not going to have the nitrogen credit that you have from a three-year-old stand which is very typical the length of time growers maintain stands here. The um, upshot of this whole situation is that growers who grow alfalfa should not need to apply nitrogen fertilizers to the corn if it's a subsequent crop and can cut back in the year following. And um, I haven't uh, kept track of nitrogen costs lately but that's a significant nitrogen savings that they should realize. Um, in addition to all those other um, undocumented expenses of trips over the field and compaction, you grow alfalfa, you're not going to be uh, 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 being fertilized, putting fertilizer on and having to go to all of that, uh, that activity. I actually did run some numbers this morning just based on the most recent recent estimates I could find, you know, and, and with the numbers that we're talking about, you can see a savings anywhere from about $45 to $65 per acre just in those nitrogen um, fertilization savings, which is huge. I mean, fertilizer is one of the biggest costs that we encounter with farming. Yeah, and there's other, um, other issues that uh, perhaps we won't have time to get into today, but... We know that nitrogen fertilizer production is a very energy intense mm -hmm. activity. 
you know, there are issues related to it in terms of um, CO2 emissions, you know, with energy consumption. So I think, um, again, we're going back to look at alfalfa and not only its value for livestock feed, um, not only its value in producing nitrogen, but there's tremendous other environmental values associated with growing alfalfa. Absolutely. And I'm hoping to get into that here in part two of this podcast. Um, one thing that I, I get commonly from growers is part of the reason why they generally aren't using alfalfa in their rotations is because they they need somewhere to, to be placing their manure, whether they're a dairy operation or they have a nearby hog operation. Um, they need somewhere to, to put that in generally they're saying that corn, uh, triticale, rye, the grasses are going to respond a little bit better. How, what do you think about that conversation or that response? I recognize that that's um, yeah, certainly an advantage of growing those crops. You can utilize that nitrogen. And um, I think what, um, you know, my response would be this in terms of specifically that question. You know, farming is... Um, really uh, managing a system. And so you have a cropping system that um, in a lot of the Midwest is corn and soybeans. Mm-hmm. For dairy farmers, could be corn silage, soybeans. They often grow some alfalfa uh, because of its value in the, in the ration. So you have a system and you, when you manage that system, you grow certain crops to utilize the manure application. So you can put manure down following alfalfa, following alfalfa, although a lot of times it's not needed, at least from the standpoint of the nitrogen, you can put manure down before you seed alfalfa as well. Mm-hmm. Um, even though seedling alfalfa doesn't need the manure, it will take up that nitrogen instead of fixing it. So it's not all lost. But as part of a system, I my response is growers growers have learned that uh, growing different crops gives them a lot more flexibility with issues like manure application. Absolutely, um, and there's no doubt manure should be applied to some of these crops like corn or small grains, and not to alfalfa. Yeah, I do challenge, you know, that response a little bit because I think it's it's a little short-sighted when their only reasoning maybe for not growing alfalfa is because they want to be able to apply manure to these other crops. I think that they're overlooking a lot of the other things that we should be considering and the fact that alfalfa, like you said, still can use the nutrients in that manure. In fact, it can actually utilize them a little bit better. They find lower um, instances of, say, nitrate leaching with alfalfa compared to something like corn. Um, so I, I don't think that that should be the end all be all um, in terms of why you would or would not use alfalfa. Now, Craig, one other thing that I wanted to touch on, too, um, you had mentioned that in your research, you're finding that not only are we seeing these nitrogen credit benefits in year one of corn after alfalfa, but we're seeing them also into year two. How exactly does that work? How is the corn not using all of the nitrogen in that first year? Well, so when um plant residue, like say from tillage up an alfalfa stand, um, occurs. When, when that incorporation of plant residue occurs, um, there's herbage 
that is incorporated. There's residue from previous har harvest that's incorporated. There's root material. Some of this material will um, decompose very fast because overall alfalfa, um, you know, it'll have a carbon nitrogen ratio of like anywhere, let's say it's 15, there's, there's much less carbon in it than you'd see from corn stalks. Um, so this residue that's placed in the soil, it's chewed up or consumed by soil microbes. And the soil microbes uh, in the process of doing this decomposition use some of it for their own bodies, will also go through a process of, of death and decay. And some of the residue, nitrogen in that plant residue, will, um, will uh, also ultimately end up in humus. So that we have this, again, this dynamic system of, 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 of nitrogen in the soil and the mediated by microbes and affected by aeration and a lot of these other factors so that there is a nitrogen tie-up that occurs. The reason that we have nitrogen available in the second year is that there's this ongoing decomposition that occurs. And okay. if you are applying a lot of nitrogen in that organic matter, in that through the alfalfa, then it will become available in the second year, probably some the third year too. Okay, so nitrogen released from the soil is very dependent on the weather, the soil type, and the organic matter. But if you have soil of about 3% organic matter, it can release or has the potential to release 60 to 70 pounds of nitrogen per year. So you wow. have a soil out there and you do you do not grow alfalfa on it, you don't put fertilizer, there will still be some nitrogen available. Mm -hmm. Farmers find this when they grow corn and they miss, you know, they skip. There's parts of the field where they don't fertilize and the corn still grows. It's yellow or shorter, but there's some nitrogen being released. So we have the, the, the nitrogen and the organic matter, different phases of decomposition, ultimately ending up as humus and and, and there is an annual decomposition that occurs because of soil microbes and the nitrogen that is available for plant growth. And Craig, how does, say, using tillage versus no-till or min-till, how would that play into the release of these different nutrients? Yeah, um, that's a really great question. Um, and I really think that in all of agriculture, there's going to be continual emphasis on reducing tillage. So we, um, we like to think about um, the amount of carbon that we apply to the soil from growing a crop of alfalfa. And let's just say that there is a ton of alfalfa roots incorporated when you till up the alfalfa, 2,000 pounds of roots. And um, it's about half carbon. So it would be 1,000 pounds of carbon that you apply. Um, we know, though, that if you go in with a moldboard plow, if you go in with chisel plowing and disking multiple times, you can burn up a lot of that carbon. Mm -hmm. Again, it's going to be soil dependent, climate dependent. So as you go to a no-till system or a strip-till system, 
I think we have a potential for maintaining a lot more of that soil carbon there applied from the alfalfa. And uh, we've already seen it in the row crop production and in government programs emphasizing it. And it also applies to alfalfa. Yeah, it makes sense. I mean, you just see all over all these programs, you know, federally funded as well as privately funded. They're looking at incorporating more of these no-till or min-till practices instead of the tillage, um, just to try to promote some of these concepts that we discussed today. And I think this is actually a a great stopping point um, to lead us into our our topic for next week then. Um, For those of you, I I do want to also put in a tag here for anyone interested in learning more about what we're talking about today, as well as in our next podcast. I highly encourage you to head over to regeneration-nation.org. This site is sponsored and created by the National Alfalfa and Forage Association and contains even more in-depth information regarding all the benefits of alfalfa. So Craig, thank you so much for joining me today to talk a little bit about some of the nitrogen benefits. Um, Again, we're looking forward to talking with you more, having a longer conversation regarding all of the cropping rotation benefits of alfalfa. So that is all for part one of our podcast. Stay tuned for part two, where we will be discussing other cropping benefits of alfalfa, including things like soil health and pest management. Thanks for joining us, and we look forward to talking with you next time. Thank you, Emily, and thanks to you, our listeners. If you'd like more information about forage genetics or any of the information you heard about today, please contact your local alfalfa seed dealer or visit our website at www.foragegenetics.com. Until next time, thank you for listening. Because of factors outside forage genetics control, such as weather, soil, planting, and product application, individual results cannot be predicted or guaranteed by Forage Genetics International. Always read and follow all label instructions.